morning, uh, everybody. Um, my name's Gus, if you don't know who I am. And uh, my name is Gus, if you do know who I am, as I often say. So uh, this morning, we're in our series in James called Living Faith. Uh, we've entitled the series in James Living Faith in a nutshell because we believe in Jesus Christ, who is one who died and raised again from the dead. He's alive, and we have a living faith in a living God. So that's roughly, in a nutshell, why we've called the series in James the series that we have. I want to kick things off this morning by doing something that I think we do reasonably well in Oasis Church. In fact, Mike's just demonstrated the fact that we do, and I'm not saying that in order to puff ourselves up, but I want to say a few thank yous. I want to say a few thank yous, not specifically to named people, but for the energy, the enthusiasm, the time, the commitment, the drive that many, many people who are part of Oasis Church give to Oasis Church week in, week out. And uh, the reason I want to do that, it's not, because, uh, it's not because I'm about to leave Oasis Church and I want to say a few poignant words as I go, which I know might be a disappointment to some of you. Um, but it's more, it's more that we as a church have a little strap line that, that we've used in, uh, in our discussions already this morning, which is we want to love God and we want to love people. And we are in danger as a church of just having something that is a noise in society, i.e. love God, love people, unless we do something about it. And uh, I think, as I've mulled over this week, where we are as a church and what we do as a church and how we are with each other as a church, that we can have a bit of integrity there because our heart is to love God and to love people. You'll see why I want to do this, thanks, in a minute. Now, as I go through this, this is quite a long list of thanks. And uh, it is prepared. I've spent some time thinking about this. And just because I've prepared it, it doesn't mean that it's like sausage machine type stuff. I'm just going to bang a whole load of thanks out. It doesn't lessen the value. Actually, it heightens the value. Because I've tried to think in, in, in nutshell terms about every area of church ministry that I can possibly think of and say a thank you that's associated to it. So listen up. Probably most of you are involved in one or other area of, this, uh, of these church ministries. If you're a visitor here this morning amongst us, you're very welcome. You may not be part of what we're currently doing as Oasis Church, but it's just great to have you along. Just hang in there and just get a feel for what we do as a church week in, week out. So, those of you that are on street teams, if you're on street teams, I don't want a little cheer or anything along the way because it'll just get very, you know, by, by the time we get to the end it won't work. But if you're on street teams, just want to thank you for going out at night to find people who are street sleeping, to talk to them and to offer them practical help whilst they're out there. That's a high cost, and I want to thank you for it. If you're involved in leading our youth work, and most of them are out there leading, leading the youth work right now, we've got a number of youth in Oasis Church who are young women maturing in their faith in Jesus against a culture of massive cynicism in our country. And these young men and women are being helped to grow in their faith by the people that lead our youth work week in, week out. So if you're involved with youth work, thank you for helping. If you're on our welcome teams, people who try and make people who are visitors and guests around us on a Sunday or any other event that we do, I want to thank you for your warm and smiling face and being willing to stand out in the car park or on the Colgate or whatever it is. Thank you for doing that. If you are on teas and coffees, and I know that's something that a number of you do, you make us happy when we arrive on a Sunday. Smiling faces, hot drinks, and some donuts to boot as well. And thank you to those of you that go and get the donuts. We know who you are. That's really kind. Thank you to those of you who are here who come 
the cold, dark, wintry nights. When it's frosty, it's cold, it's slippery, or it's sludgy, you're still out there, sometimes with me when I'm not injured, playing Monday night football with the guys that we've built some rapport with over the years at Monday night football. Sometimes it's hard to, not to stay at home with pipe and slippers and keep away from the nasty <laughs> weather. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, thank you to those of you who, if you like, behind the scenes and under the radar, offer hospitality in your homes to a whole load of people in the church. Food and drinks to people. Pastoral care. I know people in the church who just go and visit other people and care for them. It's what the church does as a body. I want to say genuinely thank you to you. I want to say thank you if you open up your house every week to what we call in Oasis Church a small group opening the doors of your home so that other people can come in and share life with you. I want to thank you if you're a small group leader. That's really kind and helpful and really adds value to building community into the church. Mike's already mentioned those that helped on the OKC at Oasis Kids Work party, light night party yesterday. I want to say thank you to those of you if you've been involved in the whole reshaping of our kids' work over the last year or so. Preschool and club zone, the massive enthusiasm, the faith, the drive, the excitement has been fantastic. And I also want to say thank you to you if you've been involved in kids' work prior to that when it felt like it was much harder going and there weren't so many people around to help because you've laid a foundation for what we're now in at the moment. That's brilliant. Thank you for that. Thank you to those of you who are on PA. Week in, week out, they make our Sunday meetings thrive. You can hear me because of them. Good news, that is. <laughs> but not just Sundays. Our PA team, as many of us will know, they're out there at the marathon. They're out there on the Edgbaston Fun Day. They're at the carol services. They're at the Catalyst Festival. They're at the student weekend away. They serve their head off on PA. Thanks, guys. Massive. Then we've got those of, those of us who serve on the worship bands. We had a band this morning. We've got three or four bands in Oasis Church. These guys give their gift of musicality to Oasis Church. Yes, they love playing their instruments, but they're here to serve us as a body. They give of themselves in order to lead us into the presence of God. Thank you if you are on a worship team. That is massively valuable. Those of you that are on worship words, a small job in many respects, but I think it's a massive one. Nobody can worship if there aren't any words, unless you know every worship song that's ever been invented off by heart, and I certainly don't. We end up singing the same songs every week if there wasn't worship words. Really helpful job. Thank you for serving in that area. Thank you for those of you that are involved with Impact. What's Impact? It's our monthly music evening at the Bull's Head in Mosley Head, where all we do is we get a few bands and we put a, a, a musical evening on for the community. That's the agenda. Go out, have some fun, listen to music, have a drink. And that's hard work. It doesn't just come off out of nowhere. There are people involved behind the scenes that are serving to make Impact work. I want to say thank you to you for doing that. That is brilliant. I want to say thank you to those of you who've got creative genius in Oasis Church. Whenever we put on some of the events that we want to put on, like the carol services, like the fun day, like the marathon, or whatever, there are other people behind the scenes who create an atmosphere that when guests come in, they think, this is all right. In fact, it's more than all right, it's really good. This feels excellent. There's a, there's a, there's a homely feel that we, we, we experience when we come through the door, and that's because we've got creative people in the church that are willing to give their time and energy to do that. So thank you to those of you that do that. I hope you're not bored yet because I haven't finished. I want to say thank you to those of you that serve in the bridge. Adrian's already mentioned the story there. We've got volunteers and paid workers who give their time and energy to support the people with kindness and love that I think the people would say they really value in terms of them helping through their addictions recovery. Brilliant. 
Thank you so much. It's so kind. It's so helpful. What about those who pray so faithfully? Again, under the radar. So it's in the Bible, isn't it? When you pray, go up to your room, shut the door, so that the Father who's, who, who will see your unseen act and bless you for what you do. We've got people in the church, a core of people in the church, that regularly pray for us in Oasis Church as a whole and pray for us as leaders and wives as well and families. And I want to say thank you so much. Thank you for doing that. Amazing, brilliant, exciting. What about those of you who are involved in students and 20s? Thank you to you. You create such a fun vibe. There's a great sense of togetherness and commitment, and we're on a journey together if you're in momentum in student and 20s. I want to thank you for that. Thank you for giving yourself to it. I want to say thank you to our trustees. You know, we've got a group of trustees, uh, a number of whom have got really high... Well, I was going to say high-paid jobs. They probably have. But they've got, they've got really high-pressured jobs, is what I wanted to say. High-pressured jobs with masses of responsibility. And they're willing to give their time, energy, and effort in order to help us as a church work out where we're going as well. These are guys who are really stretched in their timing, yet they give it willingly and openly. And I want to say thank you to you. I want to say thank you to you if you're someone who does prepare food in life. And you're willing to give your gift of preparing food to Oasis Church so that when we have welcome lunches, when we have guests who's coming to dinner, when we have bring and share, when we have kids' parties, when we have Christmas parties, whatever parties we have, there are people that are willing to roll up their sleeves, get back to their kitchens and bring some food to Oasis Church. Good news. And thank you. I mean it. I want to say thank you to those of you that are involved in graphic design, web design and social networking. You know... The outside world, in many respects, can become accessible to Oasis Church because of the role that you play in Oasis Church. And it's really helpful. We've got a great website, we have some great signage, some great design, and, and the social networking thing with Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it. There are people who do that, they're doing it in order to serve the church and just serve people. That's great. Thank you for doing it. I want to say thank you to elders and preachers and teachers who guard and govern and guide the church. There are some here this morning. Move on quickly. I want to say thank you to those who make or who organize meals when people have babies. We have rotors that go around so that mums and dads don't have to do that thing of just making some food when they're absolutely completely wasted because they've got a new life in their world. Thank you. That's really helpful that people take responsibility for that. I want to say thank you to everybody who's here who regularly gives money to Oasis. However large or small that gift of money is, God looks at the heart, and he does, and it's great when we give our money. Thank you to those of you that do that. Well done. Brilliant. I want to say thank you to the chippies in Oasis Church. What are the chippies? Those are the people that we call when we need to put some signs up, or we need to build a shelf, or our car is broken. There are people in the church that we go to say, please, will you help? And these guys faithfully give their time and energy to sort it out. I can't do that kind of thing. I'm rubbish at putting shelves up. My wife will vouch for that immediately. But we've got people in the church that give their time and energy to it. Fantastic. There are people who clear this room and clean this room on a Tuesday after we've all gone on a Sunday. Not just this room, but the Oasis suite. Not just the Oasis suite, but the Oasis suite toilets. Not just the Oasis Suite toilets, but the Edgbaston toilets out there as well. Not just on a Sunday, but when we do the other events as well, like the welcome lunches, like the birthday lunches, like this, that, and the other lunches, when we have little bits of biscuit that end up in the carpet and you need to take a spoon and shovel it out. It takes ages. These guys give their time and energy to do it, and I want to say thank you so much. And I want to say thank you so much, finally, to those of you that serve on setup, put all the signs up, make sure that we know when we're going when we come in on a Sunday. Absolutely amazing. Now... That's a massive long list, isn't it? 
And hopefully I haven't missed any area of involvement that you're in. If I have, I apologise on the one hand, but please, genuinely, come up to me at the end, make known what area of involvement in church you're in that I missed off, and I will totally thank you to your face, absolutely no problem. I'm, 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 I mean that genuinely. And I'm also conscious of the fact that all those things that I've just mentioned are kind of church-instigated events. They're everything that the church, quote-unquote, does in life in order to do church. But I also know that for many of us here... We are trailblazers for Jesus in whatever world we are in. It's the everything agenda. So whether you're a teacher, whether you're a politician, whether you're a social worker, whether you're out at work, whether you're a mum or dad at home, whatever, trailblazing for Jesus, being light to the world on behalf of acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, another big thank you. So in all that, can you see, I hope you can, there's a sense that we in Oasis Church, I believe, when we say that we are loving God and loving people, we are trying our best to do it. And I've been driven to that moment of thanks this morning because in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, James points to someone that we've also spent some time this year already looking at, which is a guy called Abraham. And he points to Abraham and he says, Abraham is an example of somebody who, if you like, does what we do in Oasis Church, which is walk the walk as well as talk the talk. We give our time, our energy, our passion, our commitment to serving Jesus and making him known in the nation in which we live, in the city in which we live as well. And I've given you all that thanks, and I genuinely wanted to, to do it and prepare it well. Not because I'm about to hit us all with a big fat wet kipper and say, oh, but by the way, smackaroo, here comes some scripture that you're not going to like. <laughs> but rather, because I want us to start from a position of massive encouragement that we're doing all right. We are doing all right. Now, what's the passage that we're looking at today? It's James chapter 2. It's verse 14 to 26. And the simple message that James gives us in this passage, it's a one-liner, and it's simply this. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And as I looked at this passage and as I started to prepare, I thought the easiest thing I could try and do is slap us to pieces with a, with a challenge that are we a people who actually do walk the walk rather than just talk the talk? And there's a danger that we'll come into this scripture and can be completely lambasted through a provocational message which says we better be doing it, 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 rather than actually when you look at it, we're really honestly trying to see Jesus known as Lord and Saviour in this city in which we live, and we're doing our best to live lives that are transparent to all our friends and family around us. So encouragement comes first. The scripture is about to come. I'm going to teach into the scripture, particularly around the story of Abraham, that I've been really encouraged myself to, to remember this week. And then right at the end, we're going to get some little challenges for us as a church. But that isn't going to be a wet kipper moment. I just want you to know that right up front. So let's get to the passage, shall we? James 2. James 2, chapter... Sorry, James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, 
you have faith, I have deeds. Which is, which is James's argument to the fact that all gifts come from God. In the Bible it says that. And if all gifts come from God, of which faith is a gift, of which acts of mercy is a gift, of which hospitality is a gift, of which healing is a gift, of which X and Y and Z is a gift, then this arguer is basically saying, well, you can have the gift of faith and I can have the gift of mercy. You can have the gift of faith and I can have the gift of healing. You can have the gift of faith and I can have the gift of, of, of hospitality. So he's basically saying they don't necessarily have to come together. That's the argument there. What does James say? He says, show me your faith without deeds." And I will, show, I will show you my faith by my deeds. He's saying they do go together. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What's he referring to there? He's referring to the regular Jewish daily prayer that was prayed and still is prayed today, which goes like this. Hear, O Israel. You know, this is from the Bible. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. He's basically saying, you know that and you pray that. You know that God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that you know you should love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. But hey, even the demons know that, and what do they do about it? They shudder. They know it, but in anything, they want to do the completely opposite to what God asks us to do as a result of knowing it. So that's what James is saying there. He keeps going. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father, Abraham, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body, without the spirit, is dead, so faith, without deeds, is dead. So there's the message. Faith, without deeds, is dead. We can go away and remember just that, and that'll do for today. I've got a few more minutes left, though, so I'm going to keep going. Faith without deeds is dead. Let's look at this passage. I want to draw us, I'll go backwards in a way. I want to talk, I want to talk about the Abraham illustration, which is James's uh, demonstration of what he's saying is true, and then tiptoe back to the illustration that he uses, the pretend illustration about someone coming into the church and saying, hi, I'm in, I'm in trouble, and what are you going to do about it? So that's essentially what we're going to do. So let's look, at the, let's look at Abraham, the evidence for this. Abraham, the evidence. We've got a... An imaginary objector who's arguing with James in this passage. James is saying faith without works is dead. Imaginary objector is saying, no, you can just have faith and that's all right. And in James 2, chapter 20, James says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? He's about to give an example. And so he reads those passages, that scripture about Abraham. Now, we need to be careful here. Because these words that James is giving potentially contradict teaching that is elsewhere in the Bible. Teaching given by Paul that's the complete opposite of what James is saying right now. So James is saying faith by works equals a rightness with God, an acceptance by God. Whereas Paul is saying faith on its own equals acceptance by God. And he says that in Romans 3 verse 28. So Romans 3 verse 28, Paul's writing, he says, For we maintain that a person is justified or right by faith apart from the works of the law, i.e., 
good things that we do. So Paul is saying you get right with God just by faith alone, and James is saying you get right with God by faith and works. And this is a classic moment in Bible, in Bible land, if I can use that expression, where people who don't know the Bible say, well, it's contradicting each other. The Bible's contradicting each other, therefore why should we believe anything in the Bible? Therefore, what's the point of believing the Bible? Therefore, we're going to throw out the whole of Christianity in one easy, easy lesson. So it's important that we understand what's going on here and then apply it back into James's teaching. So what's the contradiction and is there one? Well, the answer to that question is there isn't a contradiction because Paul and James are talking about two different types of faith. Paul and James are talking about two different types of faith. The faith that Paul talks about when he says it's faith alone that gets you right with God is the faith to accept God as Lord and Saviour of your life. Faith to accept it's true in the first place. And the faith that James is talking about is faith that assumes you've already accepted it. So Paul is saying faith to accept it, and James is saying faith in the view of the fact that you have already accepted it. I'm going to use an illustration, if I may. I'm nicking illustrations off Adrian Hurst. He's inspiring us at the moment to use props. So here's a prop. It's an Edgbaston chair. As I'm sure you can all see, you're sitting on them at the moment. Now we have to, for the purposes of the illustration, imagine that we've never seen a chair before in our life or got a very sketchy understanding of a chair. Now I know you're all sitting on the chair, it's exactly the same chair, you know that the chair can hold your weight because you're all sitting there comfortably, nobody on the floor as far as I can see. But this is an Epsom chair, it's made of metal and it's blue. I'm going to say to you this, just imagine it's the first time you've ever seen this chair or you've got the slightest inkling of what a chair can do. That all you need to do in order to be right with God is stand on this chair. It's the only thing you need to do is stand on this chair. Now, immediately I say that, you're thinking, well, can the chair hold its weight? And some of you would think, in faith, yes, the chair can hold my weight. I believe what you've just said, Gus. Others of you will think, no, the chair cannot hold my weight. Remember, you've never seen a chair before. I do not believe what you said, Gus. And others of you will be in the middle, which is, I'm not sure whether the chair will hold my weight or not. I'm on the fence. Those of you that say, yes... I believe that the chair can hold my weight, will do this. Stand on the chair. And that's the faith that Paul is talking about. Faith to accept that the chair gets you right with God and stand on it. Faith to accept. James's faith is right, I'm on the chair. What happens next? I'll tell you what happens next. It's time for me, and I'm not going to do it, to see another chair over there, which I'm thinking, I wonder if it can hold my faith or not. I'm going to step onto it. Now, I can't do it because my knee won't take it. <laughs> my little knee operation that I often mention in preachers at the moment. But if I was to, I could jump onto that chair in faith, next step of my journey in faith. Paul's faith? Faith to accept. Yes, I believe this chair can hold my weight. James is saying, once you know that the chair can hold your weight, then where's the next step and the next step and the next step? And if you just stay with no next step of faith, then it's as if you never stepped onto the chair in the first place. Because what was the point of that? Do you see the difference? Well, I hope you do. So that's the different types of faith. Now then, let's come to Abraham then. Because James uses Abraham as the example here. And he says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. 
you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness as he was called God's friend. What's going on here? His faith was made complete by what he did, according to James. His faith was made complete. What did he do? He offered Isaac as a sacrifice. That's what he's doing. And then James says, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So James seems to be saying that because Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice, his faith was fulfilled, a promise that was given to him in Genesis 15 verse 6, as we'll see in just a tick, and therefore he's right with God, which seems again to counter faith on its own makes you right with God. So what's the Genesis 15 verse 6 verse all about? Well, that's the one where God, if you remember, if you were here in the series earlier on in the year, where God gives the promise to Abraham that he's going to be a man who's going to be a father of nations, have descendants that will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. It's Genesis 15 verse 6. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Abraham and said, A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took Abraham outside and he said, look at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So at that moment, Abraham's done nothing. Well, Abraham as he was called then. He's done absolutely nothing at that point other than believe the promise that God has given him. It's, if you like, Abraham standing on the chair. God makes him right at that moment. He stands on God's chair, says, I believe that promise. But the thing is, he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just stay standing on the chair, gazing at the stars, looking at the sand, thinking, this is an amazing promise, but what happens next? I'll just stand here and see it all roll out. He continues on a journey of faith from that moment in time. And it's as if standing on the chair is like a, a springboard of faith for Abraham that enables him to live a life that is a parade of faith. That's what it is. Now, what I love about this verse is understanding what James is saying. Because when he says the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, he's saying Genesis 15 verse 6 was fulfilled. Right? Genesis 15 verse 6 was fulfilled by Isaac being offered as a sacrifice. It still sounds contrary to Paul. But the point is this. That word fulfilled is not the word that says Genesis 15 verse 6 is a prophetic word that is going to come true. It wasn't a prophecy. The word fulfilled means filled up. Filled up. A little bit like when Jesus told the disciples to chuck their nets on the other side of the boat in Matthew when they had no fish. They chucked them over and all of a sudden the fish just massively filled up in the nets, didn't they? That's what that filling up means. Filled up. It fills up. So what James is basically saying is Genesis 15 verse 6 is filled up, filled up with the knowledge, ultimately, that Abraham offered his son Isaac as, an offer, as a sacrifice to Jesus. Filled up. It means it's, it has even greater weight. It has even greater meaning. It has even greater authority. That moment, as a result of other moments, all the way through Abraham's life, where he has taken steps of faith in order to demonstrate that him standing on the chair of faith in the first place was going to make a difference. So the whole thing fills up. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not fulfillment in terms of it being prophetically coming true. It becomes fatter and more meaningful and more authoritative. The encouragement for us 
therefore, is if we're standing on this chair of faith, and I think most of us are in Oasis Church, our, our lives can be filled up with faith, fat with faith, plump with faith, if we carry on going in Jesus, doing the works of service, doing the acts of mercy, being active in faith rather than just staying still with where we're at. And therefore, we need to be encouraged that Abraham kept going and he was recognized as a great father of nations and man of faith. Which is why in Hebrews 11, we haven't got time to read it, there's that section, it's a shame, because you, perhaps when you go home today, you can read it yourself. That section in Hebrews 11, the great chapter on faith, Abraham gets loads and loads of accolade for the faith that he gave Jesus. Uh, well, he did give Jesus, but it was a forerunner of Jesus when he knew he was coming. But anyway, that's the point. Hopefully you're getting it. A filling up of faith. Now, what's the point for us today here? It's this. And I want to I sort of bring it down to application for us as a church. I believe, and this is genuine, as I've said already, that we as a church, those of us who are part of Oasis Church already, standing on the chair, we keep taking steps of faith, which is why we're involved in all those different areas of ministry that we're in. And that's why it's brilliant. And that's why we need to think we're doing okay, and we are. Believe that, receive it, and know it, it's true. Is there a challenge in here for us? The answer to that question is yes. The challenge is this. James's little illustration, which I love, and I'm going to play up very, very quickly. What's James's illustration? person comes to church on a Sunday. We meet them in the foyer. They're shivering by the door. One of us goes up to them, stands by the door and says, hello, I'm go- well, let's let it be me, I'll diss myself. I go up to this guy, hello, what's your name? My name's John. Hello, John, my name's Gus. Nice to see you. How are you doing today? I'm not doing very really well, actually. What's that? I lost my coat on the, on the bus and it's a, bit, it's a bit cold today and I'm not feeling very warm. Oh, I had a nice coat once. I uh, lost it when I went to a football match, left it on the seat. It's really nice. It was a kind of puffy with goose down inside it. Yeah, it's like that. Oh, it's really annoying when you lose your coat, isn't it? It gets a bit cold. I'm all right, actually, though, today, because I've got this donut and cup of tea that I've got. Um, but you clearly haven't. What could we do about finding your coat again? I don't really know. Actually, don't worry about the coat. I'm, I'm feeling a bit hungry. A bit hungry? We've got some great donuts in Oasis Church. Mmm. I mean, they're really good. I come to Oasis Church on a Sunday just for the donut and the coffee. I'll tell you what I'll do, John, just before you, just before you go through to meet him. Let's just step outside, shall we? I'll have a quick prayer with you. So you step outside and you put your arm around his shoulder and you say, Lord, thank you for John. Lord, thank you that you're a provider in life and you can provide for him. Thank you. Sorry, I'll just, I'll just finish that, John. Thank you, God, that you can provide a coat for this man. Lord, you know where that coat is. And I ask that today, at some point, Lord God, that coat will reappear in John's life. <laughs> and Lord, I know he's hungry, and Lord, I just ask somehow, I don't know how, Lord God, that somehow <laughs> you'd be able to give him food in his stomach today, not just, to, not just, Lord God, to warm his heart, but to warm his whole body. Lord God, thank you for John, and bless him now in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Off you go, John. Why don't you go off and why don't you go off and try and find find your coat now? Because I actually sense it's a prophetic leaning that I think <laughs> I think the next bus that's coming along has your coat on it. Now, 
Can I encourage us? That is never going to happen here in Oasis Church, right? Certainly, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. However, because I think generally we're on the lookout to care and love people. However, I think the challenge for us in this passage, faith without works is dead, is that we as a church, because we're so hugely busy all of the time doing life in general and church life, and our passion is to serve God as much as we possibly can, there's a, there's a singular danger that might catch us out, and it's this, we get tired. We get tired. And when we get tired, that's when we get a bit scratchy. And when we get a bit scratchy, that's when, when the call comes out for continual acts of help and support and service, that's when we start to get the blocker. Now, this is the point of challenge I want us to bring, as you can see, with a good degree of lightness. I think, and I know because I've been there myself, when I start to run out of juice in God, and someone says, Gus, would you do this? Sometimes I say this, no. Just like that. No. Someone asks me a question, I say, no, I'm not doing that. It's not, very, it's not a very nice response, because it leaves the person who's asked you with a kind of, <laughs> like that, and you don't know where to go. In fact, you think, I'm never going to ask you again, because that was so blunt. Sometimes it's a direct no. Sometimes people might say, Gus, would you help me in creche this morning? And I'll say, no, I don't do creche. Said that? Not necessarily about creche? You've run out of juice. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, Gus, would you mind helping on teas and coffees on a Sunday morning? Oh, so I just haven't got grace for teas and coffees this morning. It's an oasis little strap line. I haven't got grace for that at the moment. Now, I, I say it kindly because I want to put into our thinking that we're doing really well, but when we're stretched, that's when, we're, that's when we start to go at the edges. And I want us to be like Jesus. Let's be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself, didn't he? Philippians 2. He humbled himself, left the glories of heaven, and gave himself up to death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. That's powerful, that bit. Jesus gave himself up to death, not just any old death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't say to his father, prepare to die on a cross? No. Not doing that. He didn't say when the father said, you prepared to die on a cross, don't do cross. I'll do guillotine or electrocution. <laughs> Spear through the belly or something. I'm not doing cross. Don't do cross. He didn't say, actually, let me just wait on this, wait on this a minute. No, I haven't, I haven't got grace for the cross. He didn't say that. He said, not my will, Father, but yours. So when, in Oasis Church, if we're going to make this passage speak to us today, and rather it just be a headline that we all agree with and say, yeah, I believe that faith without works is dead, because we do all say, well, we have to say, how are we going to get, challenge ourselves? And I say, let's stretch ourselves. Not let's have breakdowns and overdo it and just see that it all ends up being a works-based ministry again. But let's catch ourselves and think, I'm going to stretch myself as much as possible in the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit it's completely void and null and dead, in order to give ourselves to carrying on being a people of faith that risk taking steps, taking steps, taking steps of faith. And that's really important. I just wanted to bring that with a sense of light to say, come on, let's just, let's not just think we've got it, Let's keep striving to be men and women of faith so that we can be like Abraham, who ultimately was asked to sacrifice his son, and he said, yeah, whatever, because God can do it. Are we there yet? Probably not. In conclusion, I'm going to finish where James does. James is a preacher. 
He's a great preacher. His illustrations are massive. I love his, his illustrations. And he basically says this. He says, look, congregation, here I am standing before you today, a handsome man. And everybody agrees. I'm a handsome man who's full of life and laughter. I'm a handsome man who's full of life and laughter and energy and passion because, like all of you, there is breath that I'm breathing into my body as I speak. And because you're bre breathing breath and because I'm breathing breath, we all stand alive here today. I stand alive here today. Here's something that you can all agree with me on, even though I'm not a biology teacher, says James. The instant I stop breathing, my body dies. In fact, the instant you stop breathing, your body dies as well. And everybody would agree with that, because it's blindingly obvious. And so, James says in that final little passage, verse 26, he says, So, faith without works is like a body without spirit or breath. And a body without breath is dead, and faith without works is dead. So let's be a people that live, live faith, living faith, in order to proclaim Jesus as King and Lord. Let's not get completely wrecked so that we can't do anything, but let's keep stretching ourselves like Jesus did in order to give him the glory that he deserves. Why don't we stand and I'll, I'll pray quickly. Jesus, just want to thank you <laughs> that you that you were willing to die on a cross, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate stretch. It wasn't too far or too difficult. You were willing to do it in order to save us and rescue us, and I thank you for that. And I ask, Lord God, that our response to you, giving yourself wholeheartedly for us, would be that we give ourselves wholeheartedly to, to you. And I thank you for all the things we do that do that, Lord God. I pray you fill us with your spirit so that we can continue to proclaim you as Lord and King, whatever we're doing and however we're doing it, right here in the church and right out there as well in the community. To the glory of your name I pray. Amen.